0: All right, let's uh, take our Bible and open to the book of Acts chapter three. We will look at some of the material we have already looked at and uh, a little bit of new a little bit of new material. I wanted to mention uh, Sister J- Judy Johnson. Uh, she said her um, dizziness and uh, back pain uh, came back, and so, She's uh, asking us to pray for her, so she was a little bit better earlier. She, well, anyway, she was hoping to be here tonight, so, so uh, pray for her, just a constant battle with her. Of course, we miss her when she's not here because she's the best person to, to um, you know, take jabs at. She's fun to, fun to mess around with, um, so pray for her. Alright, Acts chapter 3, verse number 12. We'll read it from verse 12 down to verse 26. Acts 3, verse 12. Bible says, And when Peter saw it, of course, this is the healing of the lame man and uh, how the people came together. He answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us? as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk the god of abraham and of isaac and and of jacob the god of our fathers hath glorified his son jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of pilate when he was determined to let him go but ye denied the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you who's the murderer Barabbas, verse 15, And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And, the, and now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as, as did also your rulers, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever He shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, As many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you for the opportunity for your church to meet Thank you for those that are here and those that are listening in. Thank you for the work that you're doing in each person's heart. I pray for our church, each person that's a part of this body, that you would enable us all, Lord, to walk with you. You would enable us all to be prayerful, to be holy, to be upright. Lord, to be full of the love of God and love for one another. Help us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, I pray for our church, especially... As we move toward the anniversary and, Lord, we think about and reflect upon what you have done, but, Lord, not to just stare uh, at what's in the past, but also connect that to what's in the future. Lord, please do a work in this among, among us in this body, Lord, and edify us, Lord, and multiply us. Lord, I pray for this message tonight, Lord, as we look into this uh, gospel presentation by Peter, that you would g- give us wisdom and understanding. Please, Lord, teach us, help us, and equip us that we might be better uh, evangelists ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I call this uh, Peter's gospel presentation. You know, every Christian, every Christian, every Christian should be able to share the gospel with someone else and lead that person to know what it means to be saved, to know what why and how a person is saved, and to actually lead them to trust in Christ. Every Christian. This is not a job only for the preachers or those who are in ministry. This is a job for, that all of us should, should be able to do. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that there's an easy an easy formula. There's books you can go out. I remember when I was first, when I after I'd gotten saved, I was I was growing and that kind of thing, and I was involved in a lot of different kinds of evangelism. Of course, we were door knocking here, and then. Uh, you know, even as even as a young person, then after I got into college, we would do street ministry and preach on the street, and so there was a lot of that. You know, I was involved in a lot of that kind of thing. It was a it was a big part of my life. Of course, as a missionary, it was a big part too. But, but I, I remember a book that I got, and it was it was called. Drawing the net, and you know, and it gave you the, Brother Ari, I'm sure, knows exactly the kind of, the flavor of book. You know, it was all about the one, two, three, the steps and how you do it and the thing you say and not, not say. In other words, it was a formula for leading someone to the Lord. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have, I don't put very much stock in that kind of thing. Uh, that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm going to buy my stock. Because the reality is, not, there, is no, there is no robotic formula. You will not see that in the Bible, first of all. And everyone is different. Every person that you come across and that I come across, and we're trying to share the gospel, it might be a family member, it might be a co-worker. I know Sister Pam has talked about how that she's tried to witness to her, her, her co-workers. And every person, you know, if you consider the gospel is like on a timeline, you know, where... First, hearing the gospel is on the furthest part to the left. And as you get closer and the, the other side is when they actually trust in Christ. You know, everybody's on a different, on a, at a different point in that timeline. And some people have a completely different timeline altogether, right? You go to Cambodia and the timeline is totally different. Bulgaria has a completely different with Bulgarian Orthodox, right? Gypsies is a whole nother one, right? They're all different. They're all different. And so you, there is no one-size-fits-all kind of thing where you can explain the gospel. Uh, one way, I'm talking about now methodology, and it's going to fit for everything. So let me encourage you, and, and I do hope to go over some, you know, Brother Stewart told me that when he first became the pastor at Choice Hills, he, he led the church into like a, an evangelism kind of, uh, kind of discipleship or, or teaching uh, you know, a series of lessons on that where there was, a, you know, emphasizing that and trying to train and That's something we need to do. We need to be good at, but it's not through a, a regiment that you memorize. Listen, our evangelism is something that comes out of us, it comes out of our own heart, comes out of what we believe, and it comes out, listen now, out of our own knowledge of the scripture. One of the best things that we can do is be evangelists ourselves And that drives us to know the scriptures that are relevant to witness, right? That'll help you memorize scripture. It'll help you be familiar with that. So every Christian, every Christian should be able to give the gospel to someone and if the opportunity arose, lead them to trust in Christ. Can you do that? Are you you capable of doing that? Here's another question. Have you ever done that? Every single one of us came to, came to know the Lord and trusted in Jesus because somebody else told us the gospel, right? There's not a soul. You say, well, I was saved when I was, when I was young. Then most likely your parents were that was that person, right? So every single one of us is saved now because someone told us the gospel. So we should then be able to tell others. And so... Um, as we look at this, I want to look at Peter's gospel presentation. A lot of it will overlap in chapter 2, but what's, what's important about the book of Acts, and there are a number of places. You can go to Acts 17. There's a couple of places there. Uh, you, can go to different, uh, you can go to different places in Paul's ministry, in Peter's ministry, where, <coughs> excuse me, where, where they present the gospel. And, this is, and And what's funny is many of the go-to passages that we use when we witness to people how many of you have ever noticed you go to the passage and you, you basically extract one verse like Romans 5, 8, for instance, somebody quote it. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you keep reading, you're witnessing to someone and you keep reading, you're going to confuse them like that. You know why? Because Romans 5, 8, it's true, right? It's true. But Romans 5, 8 is written to Christians, it's gospel truth, right? But here's the thing. But the book of Romans was not written so much for an unbeliever to give as then to give out to an unbeliever. Much you read of the book of Romans is, I mean, it would leave somebody like, huh, oh, I don't even know what this is talking about. And even a verse like 5.8, if you keep reading, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna kind of get lost in the context. But see, that's why God gave it to us. We understand the truth and then we take that understanding with the help, of course, of the Holy Spirit that we have. And he allows us and enables us to tell other people that truth. But so in contrast to something like Romans or Ephesians 2, 8, 9 or Titus 1, you know, different places like Titus 3, 5. You know, when you go to those go to passages, those aren't really written for for lost people to consume. They're fine. And they're good to get that bite-sized truth. But really, the book of Acts, though, is where you find one of God's people giving the gospel to someone else and the words they used, the method they used. What did they emphasize? That's that's kind of the distinction you have in the book of Acts. And it's a little bit surprising what you see in the book of Acts. Um, That is a little bit different than some of the things we say and talk about. But, of course, the two are consistent. What Peter and Paul say in the book of Acts and, uh, and Philip and, and Stephen and all the others, of course, is consistent with all of the other New Testament doctrine. But, it, but the book of Acts specifically gives us special insight into how the doctrine of Scripture was used and given to an unbeliever. Now, remember, the book of Acts has a context. Uh, The first part of the book of Acts, the first, say, nine chapters deal almost exclusively with the Jews. So you got to you got to remember that, that when Peter is talking to the Jews, he's talking to the Jews and and he's taking them. Remember that timeline I mentioned that timeline They're They're a lot further down that timeline than, say, a Gentile who who had been a heathen, a, a pagan, that is, would be. You might have to start back here. And you know what? In Acts 17, when Paul's talking to the Athenians, he starts way, way back in the timeline. But when he's talking to the Jews, he doesn't go through. He doesn't go through creation and Adam and Eve and the first sin and the law of Moses. He didn't go through all that. He starts where they are, where they are. Now, you've got to be careful when you do that, though, because you have to remember that some people... It sounds like they understand up to this point, but there's a whole bunch that they've misunderstood. That's also a common uh, problem to think about and to keep in mind. But let's look at what Peter said. Look at chapter 3. We're going to flip between chapter 2 and 3 a little bit. Look at chapter 3 and verse, verse number 13. Verse 13 through verse 15, the Bible says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Now, if you started there with a Cambodian or a gypsy, they'd be like, Ege? Abraham penagenan. like, who's Abraham? So you'd have to go way, way, way back if you started Abraham. But to the Jew, it's perfect because they already know who Abraham is. And it says this, that God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. Now notice this. Whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now look back at chapter 2 and verse 23. Talking about Jesus in verse 22, he says, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is what Peter does first. First. You know what he does? He speaks directly to the sin of the hearers. You know, what struck struck me with Peter is Peter didn't beat around a bush about the guilt of the Jews in relation to Christ, the the crucifixion of Christ. He didn't beat around the bush. He spoke directly. And here's the thing we have to understand. when When we speak to people, there's a difference between being direct and being rude. Now, sometimes that line can be thin, and sometimes directness is mistaken for rudeness. And that that happens as well. But one thing we can't do is pull punches on this matter of sin. Now, for the Jews, let me explain my point. What is the primary sin that's in view in this chapter, in chapter 3 and chapter 2, that Peter's talking about? Exactly. They're, they're talking about the Jews. Now, these Jews here might not have personally killed Christ. It might have been a different set of Jews that were yelling, "Crucify him, crucify him," but the point is is that it was this society that was uh, approving of the death of Christ. This is the primary sin that the Jew, that, that Peter's talking about when he's, when he's laying the guilt of the, the, the guilt of the blood of Christ at the feet of the Jews. We talked about a little bit that, about that on Sunday night, and he was proving... That they were guilty of sin by their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what they had done to Jesus was not the only sin they had ever committed, but it was representative. You know why? Because it was one of the. It was. It was a very grave sin. So, had they ever lied? Yes. Had they ever stolen? Yes. Had they ever cheated? Yes. Had they ever done other sins that violated the law of God? Yes. But you know what? He could have said to the to the Jews, "Look, you might keep the law and you might be perfect, like Paul said in Philippians. You might be blameless according to the law, but there is blood on your hands. You crucified your Savior. So even if you were perfect in every other way, which of course we know they weren't, you're guilty." You're guilty in God's sight. That's the thrust. Now, of course, we know when we talk to people, and the reason I'm saying this is because, you know, as we start evangelism back up, first of all, I'd like, a lot, I'd like you to, to resolve and say, you know what, I might not have ever been a serious part of evangelism. And I might feel real awkward or, uh, you know, about going out, knocking on somebody's door, going downtown, passing out a gospel track. Listen, make the commitment to be a part of it to get outside of your comfort zone and, approach, and be willing to go out and approach people that you don't know and tell them about Jesus. It's outside of my comfort zone too. But the first thing Peter did, he spoke directly to the sin of his hearers. Now in our time, we, don't, we can't say what Peter said because of course Peter was talking to the Jews who had crucified Christ. But what we do, what overlaps is this is that we talk to the sin of those that we're witnessing to. It starts there. There's a reason for this, and, and when we get to the end of what I'm saying tonight, you'll see the reason, but you have to start with sin. You have to, Now, there's other things you can do. You don't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, you know, this and that and the other. But the point is, is you, you can't possibly know that you need a physician unless you know you're sick. And most people live and they have no idea they're sick. And they don't know that they're terminal. They're terminal with sin, but they have no idea. Most people think they're good people. That's what they hear on the news all day long. And that's what they think of themselves. Most pe- that's what you, you hear in the news. You hear on the movies, the TV shows. They hear, they hear things, well, yeah, I'm a good person. And you, you even see people get arrested, do you not? I love the, I love the, uh, the, cop, the cop shows and the, the court, court TV or court cam or whatever Y'all probably know what I'm talking about. People stand up before the judge. I mean, they've done a serious felony. And they'll say things like, Your Honor, I made a mistake, but I'm not a bad person. So I've even heard the judge say, Sister Karen, I've even heard the judge say, You made a mistake, but you're not a bad person. (laughs) Do you know why they say that? Because they believe it despite the evidence to the contrary. But see, that's even though these Jews were very religious and very strict, no doubt, in their religion, their sin just, would just leapt, leapt out. It was obvious. And that's what he's trying to prove. You're guilty. You are not right with God. You have rejected your Messiah. Now, again, our words might be a little bit different. Is it going to fall? It's making noise. Our words, the words we use when we talk to people and try to show them about sin and show them about guilt might be a little bit different. But remember, that's not not something you can go around. If the gospel has meaning, it has meaning in regard to sin. All right, we'll see more about that in just a minute, as I said. Second thing I want you to see is this. In verse number 15 and in verse number 18. Let's look at 18. We already read 15. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Chapter 2 says something similar. Verse 23, we read already. He says, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Peter told them how that Christ died according to the scripture. Right? That's part of the message, the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is, when you're witnessing to someone, that is not just a story, something you have to cover. That is a fact of history that plays directly, that is directly connected to whether they are right with God, whether they're going to heaven or hell. The gospel is right in the center of that, Right? So we have to tell them the gospel. Now, what is missing, though, in chapter 3 when Peter's preaching? What is missing? When he tells them that Jesus died, but he doesn't tell them why. Now, of course, that's something we would, we would immediately go to. This is why Jesus died. He died for sinners. And that's a perfectly biblical thing to talk about. That's Romans 5.8. That's a lot of other passages we could go to. But it is notable that the reason why Christ died is not not stated in this context. Don't let that throw you for a loop. Because again, it's the context. They knew he died. And here's the thing. When Peter gets to the next point, which is the resurrection, all of the other things are going to start to fall into place because of the previous understanding of the Jews, what the Jews already knew. All right, let's move on. Number three, in chapter two, look at that, verse 24. This is no mystery to you, but it says this, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Then in chapter three, verse 15, we already read, but it says, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Peter gave witness. Number three is Peter gave witness to the fact of Christ's resurrection. Now, this is an important point. Now, we know to the Jews it's important. To the Jews especially, it is important. But it is no less important. The resurrection of Christ is no less important. Now, here, here's the thing. If you were to go up to an average person in Greenville, South Carolina, and you were to say, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? most of them are going to say yes. But I wonder sometimes if they believe that from a church perspective or if they believe it really is true. In other words, are they assenting to the fact that the church teaches such a thing or are they acknowledging that they are convinced that Jesus is actually alive? Now, can can I know the difference? No, I can't know the difference. But... It does make you wonder. It makes me wonder anyway. But Peter gave witness to the fact of Christ's resurrection. Now, here's why this is important. Because the resurrection, by that single event, verified and proved all that Christ did and proved who he was. In, in short, it means this. If Jesus rose from the dead, everything he said is true. Right? If Jesus rose from the dead, everything he said is true. Now hold your place here and look at a couple places. Uh, look at Romans chapter 1. This is what I mean Romans chapter 1. A little nondescript uh, place here in Romans that you might pass over as you get into the book of Romans. Verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and, now follow the words, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. What's the next phrase say? By the resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to take away the, the parts we're not looking at just so we can understand. And declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. you see that? The resurrection proves Jesus is the Son of God. What do you think? Well, well Jesus is the Son of God, but he's not God. All right? Because there are people that say that. All right, let's look at uh, the book of John, chapter 5. Now, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what that shows you. This is, I, I, this, listen, listen, you might not go up to someone and say, now I'm trying to help you on a practical level. You might not go up to someone and say, Jesus rose from the dead and we know he's the Son of God because he rose from the dead. That's what you know. But what it does show is that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection is a necessary element when you present the gospel to someone. You'll see more in just a minute, but look at John chapter 5, verse number 18. This is kind of another another kind of hidden gem, but look, look at what it says. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, Jesus, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. That would make him the son of God, right? Making himself, what's it say? Equal with God. So what this verse is saying is if you say that God is your father, you're actually saying you're equal with God. The resurrection proves that Jesus then is equal with, Jesus is God. You see? The resurrection proves who he is and what he did. It is the capstone. No one can say, oh, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but he didn't really walk on the water. (laughs) Or I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but... But some of the things he taught were wrong. And there are people that believe that. There are religions that, that where people believe that. They believe Jesus rose from the dead. Their church teaches that doctrinally, but then they also believe Jesus sinned. Well, God can't sin, and the resurrection proves he's God, you see. That's what we just saw. You see, it proves he's sinless. So when you give the gospel, again, you might not, get, you might not overload everybody with all these doctrinal things, but what it does show is the resurrection is an important thing to hit on, another reason, the resurrection makes the ascension of Christ possible. He can't ascend if he's not alive, right? right? We are, and we already went through the ascension in chapter 1 of, 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 uh, of uh, Acts, and that's why, I, that's why we're building. We're building as we go. Hopefully you see that. In chapter 2, verse 33, if you'll look at that real quick in Acts, the Bible says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye, now, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy fo- foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see... Jesus, because he rose from the dead, he ascended. And in his ascension, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the place place of supreme authority. There is no one higher. Remember, Philippians, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, right? So the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God shows that he is the ultimate and final, and supreme authority, period. Why does that matter when you witness? One more thing. Chapter 3 of Acts. I'm getting somewhere. Verse number 20. Third thing the resurrection establishes is the Lord's coming, His return. Chapter 3, verse 20 says, And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of, the, of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. You know what? This was spoken before all the rest of the doctrinal things that we understand from the, the, the epistles was ever written. And yet, Peter's talking about the second coming of Christ. He saying you need to believe in Jesus. He's risen, He's ascended, He is Lord of all, and He's coming again. And it, you, listen... Jesus will return. Why does that matter? All of the above that I just got done telling you about the resurrection, it establishes who Jesus is. It establishes who who it is that we are presenting to the person we're witnessing to. Who is he? What is his identity? Should I care? It establishes the person upon whom they must trust. And it also establishes the person to whom they are accountable, if they reject. So, what do I mean by that? All right, I'm going to try to get a little get practical. Here's why it matters, Sister Pam. If I'm witnessing to you, and I'm trying to tell you about Jesus, and I, I do this when I'm trying to talk to people, I'll say, you know, Jesus. Well of course, Jesus. You know, Jesus died for your sins. You know, that's the center part. The, the, the Christ dying on the cross part is part of the gospel, right? And we get to the resurrection, and Jesus rose from the dead the third day, proving who he was. He is alive now. This is what I say to people, and, and you know, this is just trying to go off of the the doctrinal things into the practical. I say, he is alive, and he's coming, and you're going to stand before him because he's alive. He is a real Savior. He is a real Lord. And he is the real judge. You are going to stand before the, the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is at the right hand of the Father. You are accountable to him. You receiving him or rejecting him. In other words, it takes what is doctrinal that happened 2,000 years ago, and it brings it into 2023 in front of the person you're talking to. Now it's no longer a story in the past It's there, present. You see what I'm saying? When you're you're witnessing to someone. When I got saved, when you got saved, when you trusted in Christ, what did you do? You, as it were, bowed the knee to the same Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? That's what you did. That's what they must do. That's the resurrection. The resurrection, when when you give somebody the gospel, and you talk about the resurrection, you are presenting Jesus as Lord and alive. That's why it's important. Next in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse number 19, Peter called on them to repent. Sister Judy will like this because we had a conversation on this subject, so I'm sure she's listening. In verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Here's what that means. We talked about repentance before, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rehash all that, but let, let's just put it like this. Remember, Peter's giving the gospel. He's witnessing, he's evangelizing. Here's what he's telling the people that don't, know, that don't know Jesus, that aren't saved. Here's what he's telling them. God stands opposed to your sin. He's not okay with it. When you tell somebody to repent, You're probably going to have to explain what that means because a lot of people think it means you change your life. So you got to to explain that. Look, it's your sin or God. You can't have both because God stands opposed to your sin. Right? A lot of people, listen, this society and especially this, this pitiful Christianity that is practiced around us, teaches that God is okay with with sin. If a person comes to God with that mind, with that in their heart, with that attitude, they can say whatever the percent of prayer they want to say and they're still going to go to hell because they come to God with the wrong heart entirely. Remember, it starts with sin. He says, be converted. Repent you therefore and be converted. That means that they're on the wrong course. Converted is also translated as to turn about. To return. It's actually a a word we use when someone stops and goes back in a different direction. That's what, if if you're doing that, that means you're on the wrong path. You see what you're conveying to this person? You're on the wrong path. You're on a path to destruction. You're conveying to them. Now, you might use different words, but this is the way it's presented. Let's keep going. The person then comes to God with an understanding that he is guilty of sin and he must turn about. Now, we know that no sinner has any power at all to change his life, right? You say, well, you got to get this all cleaned up. Forget it. We all going to hell, right? If God said you got to get your life cleaned up or, and then you can come, forget it. We're all going to hell. A sinner has no power to change his own heart. We're a slave to sin. He does its bidding and has no power to stop it. Nevertheless, that, that's why I study repentance with you, because repentance is not changing your life. Repentance is in the heart. He must understand and believe that his sin is wicked. God hates it, and he cannot continue in it. You see, that's all in repent and be converted, you see. Lastly, Peter offered remission of sin, of sins through Christ. Chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Flip over to chapter five, verse 31. This is Peter again. Him, talking about Jesus, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Flip over to chapter 10. Just a couple pages over, verse 43. Now we're talking with Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Verse 43 in chapter 10 is actually the pivotal point. Peter is applying the gospel message to that individual, Cornelius and his group. This is the summary. This is the goal, the aim. Here it is. And then in chapter 13, now we have a different character. Paul, verse 38. If you'd look at that. Again, Paul bringing it home. After he's already preached the gospel and told them about Jesus and his resurrection, he brings it home. Why does it matter to you? Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. In essence, There is forgiveness with God through Christ. And of course, we know that's the message. That's you taking the gospel story, which is true and real and right, and you putting it in the lap of the person. You are a sinner. You are not right with God. You need to return. You need to repent. God is not happy with you. But there is forgiveness to be had because of Jesus In his name. And we know later, we find out in Colossians and Ephesians that there is forgiveness through his blood, which is the cross, right? God, and I said this on Sunday, and I hope I didn't unnecessarily offend some people, but I said, we think we can just willy nilly go up to God and say, God, forgive me, and everything's fine. No, it's not. It's not that way. God forgives on the basis of the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, forgiveness cannot be, right? Absent the blood of Jesus Christ shed in our place, taking our place, becoming sin for us, there is no forgiveness. God would, listen, God would never forgive us. Striking. But God's so loving. That's not the problem. The problem is His holiness, right? That's why the blood was necessary. So we give the gospel to the, to the person who doesn't know the Lord and we get, it to the, get to the end and say, now this is what God offers you. Remission, forgiveness of sins. Notice the S on the end, Sister Judy. Forgiveness of sins. All the verses we read said sins or trespasses. Here's what that means. The Lord pardons all of our sins at once. When we repent and trust in Jesus. See that? Because when you see the word sins, S-I-N-S, trespasses, uh, I'm not going to try to spell that, with the S on the end. (laughs) When you see that, you know what that's referring to? Sins, trespasses. It's referring to individual acts of sin. Not to our nature, who we are. That's also called sin. We have sin dwelling in us. We talked about that on Sunday. But when we talk about sins, we're talking about individual acts that violate God's commandments. When we come to Jesus, God forgives us of them all. Even the ones we don't even remember. Even the ones we didn't know about. We come to Jesus and in one act, they're all gone. It's amazing. Because Jesus bore all of them, right? Amen. Amen. So here's how it usually goes, though. And this is what I want to clarify from Sunday. People think, well, if I ask God to forgive me, will He forgive me? And of course, all of us, when we hear that, we want to say yes. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Well, hold your horses. Here's how it usually goes. A man does something really bad, maybe worse than normal. He commits a sin that's worse than other sins. And he feels guilty. Or maybe he's afraid of the consequences of that action that he's done. Now, the reality is, even though he's done this really bad thing, he he has ignored all the multitude of sins that he has committed that he don't think are that bad. All those times he got drunk, all the times he said the F word to someone, all the times he cheated a little bit on his taxes. He ignores all of that because of this one big sin in his view. I'm telling you, this is the way people think. So he's done this really bad thing and so he feels bad about it. So he goes to God and he asks God to forgive him of that sin. And he thinks he's good. I'm good. I ask God to forgive me of my sin. He thinks to himself, I think I'll go to heaven because I've tried to ask God to forgive me of all my sins. Have you ever witnessed to someone like this? I absolutely have. This is what they say. Here's the thing. Up to that point in my story, he's never acknowledged who he is before God. He views his sin as a one-off mistake. You know what? He thinks that this person thinks that salvation means that when you try to chase down every single little tiny sin that you've committed and you ask forgiveness for each and every one, and if you catch them all, then God will finally let you into heaven. But the act of asking for forgiveness does not make you righteous. God only forgives on the basis of the blood of Jesus. You see, when we come to Jesus, God forgives our sins. You see, a sinner can come to God and say, God, I messed up. I really messed up. Please forgive me and still go to hell. Because he's never understood the first part. Which is this. Peter speaking directly to the sin of his hearers. You see, this message, even, even though this, this lame man, if you go back to chapter 3, we're almost finished. If you go back to chapter 3, and the part about the lame man, of course, we get, we get hung up on the lame man because, you know, that's amazing, an amazing thing, but Peter pivots away from the lame man. Does he not? He's talking about the lame man and how the lame man was healed because Jesus is, is at the right hand of God, Right? He, and then he pivots away from that subject altogether to go to what? To go to the gospel, you see. In chapter, th- in chapter 3, verse 16, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Verse 17, and now, brethren, see the pivot? I wot that through ignorance he did it. Now he's talking about the cross. But those things which God before or hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore. He's not even talking about being healed anymore, right? He's talking about what? Sin. Forgiveness of sin. He pivots away from the lame man to get back to why Jesus came. Not to heal the body. Not to fill the bank account. Not to cure diseases. He pivots away from the sign, right? We talked about that to the gospel. And that is the core. See, when you and I witness to someone, people want to talk about everything under the sun. They want to think that Jesus came to do all kinds of things, make people better, make make you a better person, heal the body, make you prosperous, you know, the likes of Joel Osteen and your best life now and all this stuff. They think, they think just a multitude of things about why Jesus came, and what the gospel is all about. Here's what it's all about. You have a problem with God and you need your sins forgiven. And there's no way you can have them forgiven except by Jesus. He is the only one that can forgive them. You see, when you witness, when I witness, we have to keep our focus on that. If the devil, through his lies, will, s- will sow lies and error into people's minds and hearts to try to distract you into this and that. Well, Jesus saved me because I was in the hospital and I got better. You stay with the sin question. That's what it's about. And that'll hopefully help you and help me to witness to someone effectively, to stay on target, which is what they need, which is what the gospel is about. Let's pray.